0: Welcome to this week's podcast. My guest on Facing the Canon is Howard Satterthwaite, Minister of Westminster Chapel in London. Howard, welcome to Facing the Canon. Thank you so much for letting me be here. I'm delighted to have you on the programme. You went to university at Nottingham, where my wife, Killy and I, we lived there for many, many years, so love Nottingham. So, what did you study at university? Uh, I studied law at Nottingham
1: and then went on to to do the professional qualification in Nottingham as well, trained to be a a lawyer, an advocate, barrister. Did you always want to do that growing up? I think I did, yeah. I'd watched too many films like A Few Good Men and wanted to be like Tom Cruise, so yeah, (laughs) it was always a dream. That was a good movie. (laughs) very good movie.
0: You had a trip to Africa. Uh, What took you to Africa?
1: Um, I think it was a a God calling. I went out there really to try and serve the Kenya Christian Lawyers Fellowship and to help people who were wrongly convicted or hadn't had their case even heard be released, really released from prison. So I wanted to use my legal
0: skills really to serve God. And also you went to America and you worked with people on death row. Yes, so
1: I, I took a, a little break. Um, I served as an intern in, a, in the public interest litigation clinic. They were defending people on death row. So I went and researched cases, um, met clients and just tried to support them. Again, people who they felt were either wrongly convicted or wrongly sentenced to the death penalty. Now, you weren't
0: brought up, Howard, as a Christian. And uh, what, what was your journey of faith? How did that come about? Well, my own journey became
1: um, a battle with depression and um, a real hatred of the way that I looked and appeared and angry at a society that judges by outward appearances. And so I ended up having plastic surgery. I wasn't satisfied with that. I wanted more because of that. They sent me to um, see the GP. I got Prozac. I got to the Priory Clinic for a time. I saw a psychiatrist. Um, I started to sort of get myself back on track with spirituality. I studied Tai Chi Chuan, which is actually a serious martial art with weapons forms, not just relaxation. I went out to Malaysia and did that for a season and then came back
0: to university for the first time and met real Christians who are very curious about me. So during that entire time, you're basically searching?
1: Yeah, I'm searching for, is there something more to life? Is there something deeper? Um, I'm
0: angry with a world that seems so superficial and empty. Um, And and the plastic surgery to try and fix yourself, I mean that's quite a big thing isn't it?
1: Yeah, I had plastic surgery on my nose and my ear, I thought if I was better looking I would be liked, accepted, loved by the world, successful, famous, all that kind of stuff and of course that didn't happen. Um, I was looking for really God, I was looking for the acceptance that you could only find in Christ. And where did you find that? Through meeting real Christians at university and invited along to Christian Union events, hearing a testimony, being invited to a great church in Nottingham um, and responding to the gospel really of just there is a God out there who who loves you. A really critical moment was I was um, I was in my university dorm room and I opened up a Gideon Bible that was there. And I, I, I really don't, I didn't know the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The only thing I actually knew about the Bible was a story of alien abduction within it about someone being carried off in a chariot to heaven. Yes. Um, that's that, all I knew. That's
0: the only thing you could recall.
1: That I could recall. I knew very little about the Bible at all. And so I, all I could do is flick through the Gideon Bible uh, and I was just searching, God, if you're real, speak to me. And I landed on 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. So of 31,102 verses in the Bible, roughly speaking, um, I hear God saying to me that he doesn't judge by outward appearances, but that he looks to the heart. And in that moment, I knew, oh, he must be real. Um, and this is a God I could really like because he's not Judging the way the world judges, he's looking much deeper than what's superficial. And then I knew at the same time, oh, I've misjudged him. I'm judging just him by externals, and I'm judging the Christian faith by the way it looks from the outside. What is it really about? And that was a key moment to go. Okay, I need to, I need to find out more. So I went to the library and I took out. I think I was allowed. Was it four or five books? I just took out five books I could find about Jesus and just started started reading.
0: O- on your own. On my own. So these random books?
1: Random <laughs> books. Some of them, you know, uh, even he was just a good person, but he, he really existed. Um, <laughs> the kind of books that you might get in a university library about Jesus. Um, and then the Christian friends were sort of continuing to witness to me, inviting me to events, and then finally responding to the gospel at the Christian Centre in Nottingham.
0: At a particular service? At a particular
1: service, in that whole wrestle of, if there's anybody here who really knows that they, they need to meet with God, this is your moment, stand up now. And I could sort of feel myself holding on to the chair and that inner battle of fear and embarrassment.
0: But I stood up and I've never really looked back from that moment. Howard, what would you say to our viewers who are undecided about the Christian faith and what you've just said has resonated with them? What would you say to them?
1: I think as a as a lawyer, um, you can study the evidence and I think it will lead you to the point to believe that Jesus is real, um, that he was alive. There's lots of evidence to support that, but I can only share my testimony that he's living, he died, he rose again, and he offers the most beautiful acceptance um, and love that could never be broken, never taken away from you, isn't fickle like human beings, praise. His love is so beautiful and wonderful, you just don't want to miss out. So I would encourage you to take the next step, to talk to somebody about it, to read, open the Bible, read John's Gospel, read one of those first century biographies about Jesus, and really find out for yourself. And I would believe that he'll speak to you and you'll get to know his heart and love for you as well.
0: Thank you, Howard. You're you're right. And I like how you introduced that as a lawyer, uh, uh, because There is evidence for the resurrection of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus authenticates everything that he said and did. Absolutely. Uh, That was
1: one of the roots in for me, was somebody working through all the possible objections that you could have to the resurrection, and me as a lawyer trying to go down every single one of them as, as vociferously as I could to argue no I'm sure it was just it was just hallucination couldn't it have been um, the disciples stole the body and each door being closed to me left me with gosh well the only rational logical explanation is that he really did rise from the dead um, for me that was so helpful but then I needed to take that step of faith as well
0: yeah I think that's the thing isn't it because otherwise and I find with some people you're playing chess And they're constantly asking questions and it's stalemate. And there comes a time when you've got to step. Take that step. Absolutely. And see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Now you trained as a barrister. Yes. And you then ended up working at Westminster Chapel. And now you're the senior pastor of Westminster Chapel. Yeah. Tell us about that historic church. Um, it's an amazing church.
1: It's a privilege to be in it. I can't believe I'm there. I was the guy sat on the back row at the Fringe. Now I'm on I'm the platform. It's a it's an extraordinary work of God um, and it's had this huge, wonderful past, phenomenal preachers there. Uh, G. Campbell Morgan, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, R.T. Kendall, um, a huge influence on word and spirit, reformed and charismatic history. Um, but What I love most perhaps about its history is the founding pastor, the forgotten Martin, Samuel Martin, and the church began with 20 people in 1841, with the surrounding area called by Charles Dickens the Devil's Acre because of the poverty and the squalor and the difficulty, uh, and and the church served that community with gospel word and deed ministry. They grew in 20 years to over a thousand people, there's talks of two to three hundred people every Sunday being turned away because there wasn't space in the building. They knocked down the building. They built the new one that we're, we, we've just renovated that we're in at the moment. Um, and that's our heart, really, is to honour all aspects of the history, build on that, live out the fullness of all that they were praying
0: for as a church. Amazing. So Charles Dickens called that area the Devil's, the Devil's acre. acre. And what's your... Um, coffee shop called? (laughs) It's called New Acre. Isn't that Uh, great? It is, deliberately because of that. Deliberately. It's the New Acre, yeah, Yeah. and uh, as you said, a forgotten leader, but he was the pioneer, yeah.
1: He was, yeah. He's a real pioneer of um, loving the community, loving your neighbour, Christianity with real integrity. We're not just wanting to to talk to you about something. We want to serve for you. It's it's body, mind, heart, and
0: soul. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I got sent a manuscript of your book, Spiritual Detox, and I do get sent a few manuscripts from people, but I started reading it, first page, second page, and I read, I read the whole lot, and it engaged with me um, because of the subject of confession. What prompted you to write this? It really came out of a pastoral care
1: session and um, I was with another leader trying to help somebody. We were reading from 1 John 1 9, if we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. It was already at that point, I think, a precious verse to me and the other leader in that moment said this, that, that could be a whole sermon series in that one verse. And I just felt the lights go on, a God moment. And yeah, we ended up preaching through the whole verse, nine sermons, and then felt, actually, this is really something so powerfully that I need. And actually we were sensing there's a gap, there's 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 not much being taught, taught about, about confession that's out there. Um, and we just felt God prompting us. He'd given us something that was there for the wider community, all about, taking something that most people think of as awful and depressing and discouraging, confessing my sins, but trying to help people see it's about joy and, and fullness of knowing God without your mask on and just um, being real before him and being able to get rid of all of your shame and all of your guilt and
0: just be close in fellowship with him. I love, In you're so honest and you make yourself very vulnerable, Howard, and I think that's very endearing and I think that, that warmed me uh, to, to engaging with it. Uh, you describe yourself as a recovering approval addict. <laughs> that is a wonderful little expression. Uh, tell us what's behind that.
1: Um, I just think it's, it's so true. I think I've reached a point where I'm just tired of trying to pretend to be something that I'm not uh, and just to be open and out there about that, that um, for me, uh, particularly coming into lead a church like Westminster Chapel, you feel the pressure of wanting to live up to everyone's expectations and needing that praise from others to feel like oh, I'm a good pastor um, and feeling like I've am got to compare myself with all the pastors before or other church leaders that are out there and how well I'm doing and how happy I'm feeling is gauged by what other people think about me. I could just see this is sin, this is an idol at its heart, what God says about me, that's what really matters. I need to deal with that and I think approval is a massive issue in our social media culture um, where we're looking to live for the praise and adoration of others, creating false appearances and profiles of ourselves. We need to to really learn to live in who God says that we are, our true Christian identity. And that's what I'm, I'm trying to, through my own vulnerability and trying to sort of willingness to be humiliated about that, help others into that conversation and feel like there's a safe place for
0: them to say, yeah, I struggle with that too. And the downside of social media is that it fuels a lot of that, doesn't it? And yeah. we're we're already slightly unstable in that area, and um, but social media is very enticing, and it's kind of draws you in, but it doesn't deal with all this insecurity. No, it doesn't. I, I think it fuels it. So I mean, I've had
1: to take a take a back seat sometimes from social media. Um, take a day off. Do a do a Sabbath fast from it because it really does suck you in, and that it's designed to do that. The dopamine sort of hit that it's trying to create of oh another like or it's been shared. Oh, I, I feel like I'm more important or I matter because of all of that. No, no. What matters most is we're loved by God. We're cherished in His sight. That's what I want to hold on to myself. So that's what I think confession of sin is all about the battle to hold on and to live in the fullness of who we really are in Christ, forgiven, loved and adored by him. Uh, Just recite the verse for us again. (laughs) If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us
0: of all unrighteousness. Okay, so what does that first line, that first statement mean, confess our sins, what does, does that mean? Uh, we have to confess them one by one. What, what does it mean? I, uh, I think the
1: word confess biblically means to agree with God about how bad our sins are. And so it's, it's coming out and siding with God against the wrongness of our sins, of sins that are, are rebellion against him in all sorts of different ways. We're trying to recognise them, be specific if we can about them, see them, bring them out from darkness into the light of his presence for them to be eradicated and removed." There's a Puritan, Thomas Manton, he describes confession like this, he says, it's the vomit of the soul.
0: Oh wow. So, yeah,
1: it's getting out all the evil toxins of, of sin, getting rid of this stuff, we don't need to live with it anymore. It's, it's, it's stopping us from really enjoying closeness and more intimate fellowship with
0: God. So picking up on that, Howard, the vomit of the soul, If we don't confess our sins and transgressions, then there's this sickness in us and it's doing us more harm in than out. Absolutely.
1: You you, you put it brilliantly. We've got to take out the trash. It's like leaving a bin that's dirty in your own home, that's stinking everything up. It's going rotten. We've got to get rid
0: of it as it's hurting us. Howard, why is it when we confess our sins and as the scripture says, the Lord forgives us and cleanses us from all unrighteousness, do we continue to feel guilty about past sins? It's a great
1: question. I think it's because we're in a spiritual war and we have an enemy who constantly seeks to accuse us and condemn us. So it's a battle, so he will bring up old sins that we have dealt with as if they're fresh and new, as if we're still dirtied and coloured by that. And our strength in having confessed our sins, say, no, I've brought that to Christ. That's not who I am anymore. I have confessed my sins. I am forgiven. That is the confidence we should have of the promise of this verse not to let him condemn us again. He's the accuser. Um, He wants to attack us. He wants to stop us from believing in that. And also, I think it's um, that often we're not in the practice and the rhythm of daily, regularly living in this, that this is, if this is a regular practice of, of confession of sin, not just for sins that we've dealt with before, but sins that are present, we're more able to recall the truths of what God has done with our sins, the reality of where our sins have gone. And I think that's a key thing that it helps to really think through, certainly for me, to, to deal with the guilt that as far as the East is from the West, he's removed them from us, he's, he's blotted them out, he has remembered them no more. The word forgive means to send away, like they're put on the scapegoat of the Old Testament and sent sent far away out, that they're, they're gone. And I like to rehearse those truths to really remind myself that that's where my sins are. He doesn't see them anymore. Um, in those moments where I feel accused or condemned
0: by them again. And of course, how Jesus purchased for us forgiveness by His blood on the cross. So how does Jesus uh, how does Jesus look at us when we confess our a sin today, our sins, but then tomorrow we do it again? <laughs> Does he look at us annoyed and angry? It's a great question. I don't
1: I don't think so. I like to think of this as using the verse from John chapter 13, where Jesus is washing Peter's feet. And he talks to Peter about, uh, if you've had a bath in me, if you've been fully immersed in me, I, if you believed in me, all your sin has been dealt with, but I still need to wash your sins. I'm still willing to wash your sins, your daily transgressions, where your feet step into areas and do things they shouldn't, or where your feet don't move when they should move towards an issue of injustice or caring for somebody else. That he's saying that our sin is ultimately dealt with at the cross, but he's still willing to deal with our sin. And there is a sense in which there is an anger of God towards sin. That's what we see at the cross, and the punishment for sin has been dealt with but now for the believer, it's more about the enjoyment of the forgiveness of sin that he doesn't want us to miss out on. So he's, if anything that he's maybe, if you want to call it angry about, he's angry that we're not fully availing ourselves of his forgiveness and letting those sins become a barrier that might grieve the Holy Spirit so we're not enjoying the fullness of the sweetness of his presence and nearness. Really fellowship and that's what, The context of 1 John 1 9 is fellowship the word comes four times fellowship closeness intimacy authentic
0: relationship and walk with God in the Lord's Prayer the prayer that Jesus taught us Howard there's the line forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us so unforgiveness can become a blockage to receiving his forgiveness
1: so true, um, I think it's really important that we want to confess our sins to God and deal with our relationship with God rightly, then we must widen the circle of how our sins have impacted other people and we, we're honouring God and we're living out that what it really means to confess our sins um, and to walk in the light by doing so and I think it's so important that we pick up on James chapter 5 where he talks about confessing our sins to one another and. He begins with the need for healing in the physical body and prayer into that, and then he moves to say, in the context of therefore, confess your sins to one another, so that you'd bring about healing in the in the spiritual body of Christ, so there wouldn't be um, bitterness and unforgiveness between other believers. That's that's not right, and even the first thing that's listed to grieve the Holy Spirit is 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 bitterness, is unforgiveness, and. There's that sense in which the dove of the Holy Spirit is being sent, sent away, that, the nearness of his presence. It's, it's harmful. So we've got to, to really enjoy God's forgiveness. There's a responsibility for us to forgive others who've sinned against us.
0: Yes, yeah, so un- unforgiveness is quite toxic. Definitely. So toxic. And we need to get rid of it. We need to deal with this. Yeah. Because we want to be free, don't we? We want to be forgiven, we want to be ransomed, healed, restored and forgiven. Absolutely. It's a a huge barrier to real closeness in the
1: body of Christ and being the beautiful, joyful, happy, wonderful representation of the people of God to the world that that attracts, that draws people into
0: the fellowship. So picking up on what you said, confess your sins to one another, that's in James chapter 5. What, what does that mean in practice? <laughs> do, do you know, do I and you hang out in a coffee shop and we, I confess a sin and you confess the sin? How does that work in practice? Um, I'm still finding my way and how I
1: do it at that level. I, I think I, at a personal level, I want to begin with God and I will confess my sins to Him first. And I'll usually journal about that. That's, that's how I find that really helpful. I'll journal a prayer. And then I'll pray into that for the prompting of God of who do I need to confess sin to? And then I'll think about what's the best way to do that in a way that honors God, but doesn't hurt or harm the other person. Um, and then I'll think about how could I, who do I need to meet with, what's the best context to do that in? So I've done that at a one-to-one level and just said, look, I've I've wronged you in this way. I'm so sorry. This is what I've done to you. Um, please will you forgive me? I've sometimes written a letter to people about that or my staff team, where I think I've overstepped the mark and been too too strong with the team or pushed people too hard, and then I think there's another area where it might not be a sin that I've uh, that has harmed that individual, but I need a sense of accountability and to make more tangible my confession to God and to share that with trusted others of. I need you to hear my confession to God and affirm, hold me accountable and affirm the promise of forgiveness within it.
0: That, that's how I find it really helpful as a practice. And, and confessing with one another, it, it like breaks this kind of oppression. It breaks the hold and, and actually vocalising it in front of somebody else breaks its power. That's what I've discovered. Absolutely me
1: too. It it really is more powerful than people realise because as a sense of a willingness to be humiliated, to expose myself, again, to come out from hiding and to come into into the light and with other people. So it's a real experience. It's not just hidden in my bedroom, but it but it has power. And that, that I think is the first question that God asks in the scriptures. Where are you, Adam, is an invitation to confession, to name our reality. This is where I'm at spiritually. This is what's going on with me. And that should be true of our practice in our relationship with God and true in the body of Christ, in the church, so that we are truly authentic and
0: liberated. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, Um, God's first question to Adam, where are you? And what's interesting how it is, Jesus's first question, what are you looking for? And I suppose the question can also be said, you know, are you looking for cleansing? Are you looking for forgiveness? Are you looking for freedom? Well, if you are...
1: Yeah, brilliant.
0: And of course, he wants to clean us. Tell us more about that.
1: Well, this is the remark. It's not just forgiveness sending away, but as you said, being made clean. All of the dirt, all of the, the stigma, all of the shame that can attach to us because of sin. He wants to wash away, make us new, that beautiful, shining, radiant, bright, white bride of Christ. He wants us to live out of that identity. So for me, I love this. It's the andness of God. It's the generosity of God. He doesn't want just to to take away the legal guilt. He wants to help us to live clean and whole lives. You know, He doesn't just justify us with our sin. He wants to sanctify us and make us holy. He is the and God. He's so generous in what he wants to do for us through confession. And for me, that's what probably primarily helps me to confess, is to know that's the one I'm coming to. It's the unbelievably generous God who is faithful and just and offers not just forgiveness, but, but cleansing, transformation. Um, I'm no longer a dirty sinner. I'm a beloved washed white saint
0: loved by God. Absolutely. we. We take our cars, don't we, Howard, uh, for an MOT, but we don't always take our lives for an for an MOT. And um, and I think your book, uh, spiritual uh, detox, it, it it's it's an MOT, really, isn't it? It's detoxing all this stuff, or as that quote, the vomit that's in us, isn't it? It is. That's that's
1: our hope. Our, our hope is it will do for other people, what it's done for us, what it's done for me. And that's detox us from the worst stuff that you can have in your life of sin, unforgiveness, bitterness, um, idols of living for people's approval, all this kind of stuff. We've got to take our lives for this MOT and confession that leads to repentance um, or confession that is repentance is a wonderful
0: way of doing that. Howard, thank you so much for joining us on Facing the Canon. Thank you so much for, for letting me be here. If you need a spiritual detox, I'd encourage you to pick up a copy of this. And if you're in London and and you don't go to a church, uh, why don't you try out Howard's Church Westminster Chapel? Thank you so much for joining us on Facing the Canon. Please join us again.
2: You've been listening to the J. John podcast. To find out more about J. John's ministry, visit www.canonjjohn.com and follow him on social media. One doctor developed the world's first vaccine. One civil rights activist helped to end racial segregation in the USA. One botanist developed new farming practices supporting impoverished farmers. One former slave escorted 300 others to freedom one watchmaker saved the lives of 800 jews and refugees during world war ii one politician persisted to see slavery legally abolished in the uk faith love generosity sacrifice perseverance heroes of the faith the new coffee table book by j john available now at canonjjohn.com